Welcome to Between the Headphones, a Georgia sports podcast. I'm John James, sports editor at The Red and Black, and your host for this podcast series. Each week, I'll talk to Red and Black sports reporters to get the pulse of UGA athletics straight from the source. This week, I'll be joined by assistant sports editor Owen Warden and Red and Black football reporter Bo Underwood. Up first, we'll talk to Owen about Georgia's 48-7 victory over UT Martin on Saturday. Welcome back to the show, Owen. Always a pleasure, John. So I just want to jump right in, right into the deep end. Carson Beck was the focus of the game on Saturday, starting for the first time in his in his college career. What did you see from him? I mean, I won't lie. It wasn't much. Um, I think that the game plan was pretty conservative coming in, and I'm not going to blame them. It's UT Martin, then it's Ball State. The first four games for Georgia aren't anything crazy. Um, so I can't blame them for having a, a limited game plan. But I, I think... Even though Kirby Smart would disagree with me, I think you definitely saw some jitters. I think you definitely saw some first-game nerves, which every player has. Every freshman that was out there, you saw a little bit of getting their feet wet, getting them their feet under them and kind of figuring things out. So you saw some jitters. You saw him kind of not reading the field the same way he did last year or even in these past two G-Day games where he probably showcased the best field reading ability out of all three quarterbacks. He didn't do it the same way he he did normally, and I think a lot of that comes down to jitters. But, you know, he still ended the game 21 of 31, nearly 300 yards passing. You know, I mean, it was still a solid performance, but, you know, and we kind of talked about it, but I think the receivers helped him a lot um, when he started, especially when he started getting the ball to the receivers, especially in that second half, but First half, he was missing throws. He couldn't get to Arian Smith at all the entire game. Had a terrible throw to Dominic Lovett that just was not able to be completed. So there were definitely some nerves to shake off. But again, another environment. Now at a noon game against Ball State, I'd have to assume he calms down a little bit and showcases some of the stuff that made him the number one quarterback in this race. I definitely think he calmed down a little bit throughout the course of the UT Martin game. Uh, But his stat line, I don't think is the best, like, judgment of how he played in the game just because so many receivers had so many yards after the catch like once you got the ball on them it was so difficult for UT Martin to take them down Makai Muse just taking that one to the house was like the standout play from the game in my mind um so I think it's difficult to judge back just based on the stats I think you had to really dig into and watch the game to see really how he did I completely agree I mean Muse had a great play where he just used his size and speed and just avoided the entirety of UT Martin's defense. But again, I mean, we saw that with uh, CJ Smith, who, I mean, smart raved about his performance. He had a really great game. And I remember sitting here in this podcast studio talking to you how disappointed we were about CJ Smith. Clearly this summer did wonders for him because he came in, played great, used his speed, got plenty of yards after the catch. He was a really great player for, for Georgia against UT Martin. But because of his greatness, it kind of overinflated Carson Beck's stats a little bit. And, I mean, maybe that's going to be Georgia's offense this year. We're going to have to kind of wait and see on that. I'm going to pause here. Lily just texted me about something, so I'm going to go check on what she needs. You're good. So, just speaking of the ways that Georgia's offense is going to develop this season, they've got a new play caller, Mike Bobo. Georgia fans are familiar with him, some in a positive way, some in a negative way. How did you feel about the offense coming out of that first game? I mean, kind of like what we said, especially in that earlier section, I mean, you can't really help but feel like it was conservative coming in. And that's something that everyone's kind of said about Bobo through this process is he always felt conservative. He, he never really stretched the field out and really took those deep shots like Munkin did. And Munkin 
Todd Munkin making those deep shots are the reason that Georgia has two national championships. Let's be honest. If he doesn't take those deep shots against Alabama or Ohio State in between these two seasons, Georgia doesn't make it. That Arian Smith, like, what, 76-yard reception? Massive for this team. Bobo didn't do that, and I don't really think Bobo needed to do that. I think it's going to come down to once we start getting later in the season, maybe even against South Carolina or Kentucky or Auburn, you know, in these earlier SEC matchups, I think those are the moments that we're going to need to see him really stretch out the field, really show that he has improved in his time bouncing around and, and showcase that he's got the ability to do that. But it was conservative. Um, now, I don't think he needs to be fired. I don't think it's a fire sale. I don't think he's got a hot seat. Um, I just think it was conservative because it didn't need to be anything other than that. And I think we'll see a similar offense this weekend against Ball State. I totally agree that he's probably saving his best, his best stuff, his best cook, his best recipes for those big games. But on a fundamental level, I do think Munkin and Bobo are very different coordinators. Munkin is a passing guy and Bobo is a running guy. And being a running coordinator is fine when you've got Nushan Marino and Todd Gurley. But when you're working with such a banged up running back room and your only guys are Cash Jones and Andrew Paul and maybe whatever Kendall Milton is, I'm not sure how that is going to pan out when you encounter some really tough opponents. Exactly. And I mean, you saw him kind of use those traditional running coordinator passing plays because he couldn't do anything else. So you saw a lot of screens and, and stuff like that. That I mean, you saw I mean, in the first half until Dominic Lovett's great catch. You saw that two guys had minus four receiving yards for most of the first half. And at, coming out of the first half, only one of them did. Mackay Muse before he, you know, had an incredible catch and run. But those screenplays are just not always going to work, especially because, yeah, sure, if, you, if you're playing the run a lot, then yeah. But when you're so injured, when, you know, I mean, Dejan should be back this weekend. We'll see if Kendall ends up playing again because they keep talking about how he's 92%. But... I mean, we'll see what comes of that. We'll see what happens there. But he's got to learn that this playbook that he is running out of, because it's still a lot of Munkin's plays. They did, Kirby was very intent that they weren't going to change the offense much. And you kind of saw that they did have similar plays, plays from last season. There's a lot of passing plays. There's a lot of unique styles and, and motions and stuff like that that Munkin did put together in that playbook last year. Question is, if Bubba's going to use it, he should. He needs to. But I doubt he will until it's an opponent that they need to use those plays against. So going back to that running back room again, I just want to touch on it because it has been such a critical issue heading into the first week of the season. What did you think of their performance in week one? Was it encouraging? Was it discouraging? Was it about what you expected? I mean, it's hard to say it was about what I expected when I did not expect Kendall Milton to play. So, I mean, him alone was unexpected. Um, but, I mean, when he did suit up, when he did... You know, when when the scoreboard is, is reeling off names and he's up there and he, he announces himself and crosses his arms uh, like a badass, um, you know, that, that was the moment where I was like, okay, he'll play well, he won't play great. And that's what it was. I mean, he was clearly hurt. He was clearly not 100%. He clearly tightened up after the second half and he didn't, we did not see a lot of him other than the couple two-yard runs. You know, I mean, it was about what I expected. Roger Robinson, freshman, in 50 yards plus a big breakout run, you love to see it. I mean, you love to see it from a freshman. He's young. He's got lots to learn. He needs to kind of figure out how to get some some wheels under him a little bit because, you know, those UT Martin defenders kind of caught up to him after a little bit. But 
promising promising start for a rookie, especially uh, or not a rookie, a freshman, rattling off 50 yards and a touchdown. I mean, that's nothing you can complain about. Cash Jones got a lot of hype, including from our beat reporter Sam. Um, I mean, he was fine. You know, a couple catches. You know, not what three rushing yards. Nothing great from him. Same thing, Andrew Paul, limited usage, you know, much more of a pass catching back. Um, but again, he's recovering from ACL injury. Um, so, yeah, I mean, about ex- what you expect um, coming in. But I think they can grow as they get healthier. But I don't know that's Georgia's strength of this offense. That's totally fair. We've talked about the offense a bunch to this point, And I don't want to get out of this segment without talking about the defense which put on, all things considered, a pretty dominant performance in Week 1. There were a lot of questions about the offense coming into the, coming into the year. There were less questions about the defense. Did you see anything that surprised you against UT Martin? Any overachievers who you didn't expect to see? Any weaknesses in the defense that were not supposed to have pop up in Week 1? What was your takeaway from the defense in that game? I mean, I feel like it was great. I mean, it, I mean you saw it on the scoreboard. Only time UT Martin was able to even get on the board was when the third team defense was in, and then even then, that was a bit of a controversial play, let alone. I think they played great. I think the safety rotation's fantastic. Javon Bullard, Malachi Starks, Tyke Smith, you know, Smith playing that star role, corner, safety hybrid, but I think those three were great. I mean, Tyke Smith surprised me on how well he kind of, fi- it finally felt like, and, I, and I'll have to get your opinion on this, it finally felt like Tyke was kind of what he was at West Virginia. And we've been waiting on that for the past two years he's been here. He's dealt with injuries. He's dealt with a myriad of different issues. But it finally felt like it was kind of the guy that was advertised when he when he announced his transfer here. And it was good to see. It was nice to see him actually kind of play to that standard. Linebackers were interesting. You know, I mean, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for them to do what they do, which is stuff the run, you know, set the edge, play a lot of different formations and stuff like that because they either threw it quickly, they kind of just ran for nothing or, you know, King had then from uh, their quarterback rattled off like a 20 yard gain. I think that was maybe the one weakness for this defense was that they couldn't get a QB spy to really work. I think Smile Munden's usually that guy, but he's banged up. So they couldn't really run him. Would have loved to see Jalen Walker try and run that role, but they were kind of using him more as an edge. I think the only thing that really surprised me truthfully was that they elected to go they rotated a lot of young guys in. C.J. Allen, Jordan uh, Hall. I mean, these guys got in, and they played meaningful snaps really early on in this game. And while not really lighting up the stat sheet, it was surprising that they got in at all, um, especially how much they were rotating guys in constantly throughout the game. Yeah, this year's Georgia team strikes me much more as a figuring out what you have in in depth, more, much more than years past. They're, they're trying to figure out, okay, if Nazir Stackhouse needs a breather, who's up next? They're trying to figure out if Nylon Green or Dalen Everett he, he gets injured in the game. Is A.J. Harris the next guy up? Is it Julian Humphrey? That's that's what they're feeling out early in the season. And I don't think it. I think it was much more defined in years past, whereas this year it's a little more up for grabs at the moment. Yeah, not as many you know fifth year guys returning for their COVID year. I think Tremel Walthour is like the only guy. And maybe Zion Logue as well. So it's just a couple guys on the defensive line. But those are starters. Those aren't even depth pieces. So it's a little bit harder to try and figure out who is in that rotation. And they've got to get. They've got to figure out what they got in their freshmen. They got to figure out what they've got in their semi-experienced guys like Nyland Green. You know, I mean, 
Rion came in, coming in, he started in G-Day. He was kind of the fourth-string corner against UT Martin. So it's interesting to see what Georgia has, where their depth is, where their depth isn't is. And they're trying to figure that out, and I think we will see that continued through these first couple games of the season. And just because you asked, that is kind of similar to my thoughts on the Tyke Smith situation. There was just always such a logjam in Georgia's defensive backs room, and he never really had time to make an impact on the team. But with Christopher Smith gone, you had to move Javon Bullard over, which means you needed to put someone in the Javon spot. And Tyke stepped up, and through week one, he did step up. He absolutely stepped up. He looked great. Um, you know, we had an old staff writer, Jared, who loved his play, was always hyping him up. And, you know, obviously he wasn't able to be correct in years past, but, you know, that prediction seems to finally be paying off for him. And it was just good to see him, see Tyke Smith play really well. It's always fun to see a guy who's kind of struggled in the past really step up and, and find himself as a player. But just wrapping up overall, Owen, what was your biggest takeaway first top-of-the-mind reaction walking away from the UT Martin game in week one? That Georgia's still pretty good, but it's a very much wait-and-see team. Um, Georgia still has talent. We know Georgia has talent, but it's a wait-and-see. It's a wait-and-see what Bobo's going to be. It's going to be a wait-and-see what Carson Beck is going to end up being as a quarterback over the course of the season. We saw other quarterbacks in. It's a wait-and-see to see if they even continue to get playing time throughout the season it's wait and see on the defense and we didn't really get to see their pass rush too much or their run stopping because UT Martin didn't really give those opportunities for Georgia's defense to showcase that it's a wait and see it's early it's not Oregon from last year it's not Clemson from from two years ago it was a different opponent it was a different week one opponent so we had to wait and see I completely agree I was never really expecting Carson Beck to come in and immediately blow us away but I, I think he, you can still see that he's, he has the bones there to develop into that guy throughout the course of the season. On the defense, they, they definitely missed some of that like game-breaking kind of talent that Jalen Carter was, that Nolan Smith could be at times. But you can see that they still have the pieces there to be a very good defense. You just have to watch as, how those develop over the course of the year. And, you know, we got we got flashes. We got Michael Williams. You know, we're used to him kind of rushing from that edge, that, that five to seven spot. He rushed from the three spot, the three technique, and he got a sack off of that. He's kind of one of those key pieces. We didn't see a lot of Marvin Jones, but he seemed like an interesting piece. We didn't see a lot of Chaz, but he's an interesting piece. It's a wait and see for this defense and this offense and – you know, I think I think we just gotta let these games play out until we can really have a strong take about this football team. And that seems like a wonderful way to wrap up. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Owen. It's always a pleasure, John. Now we'll be joined by football reporter Bo Underwood as we look ahead to George's matchup against Ball State this weekend. Welcome to the show, Bo. Thank you for having me, John. Absolutely. So right off the bat, I want to get right into it. Pressing issue is Carson Beck. He had his first start this past weekend. He played well in some parts. He could have played better in other parts. What does he need to do in week two to make Georgia fans feel comfortable with him as their starting quarterback? Yeah, I don't really know how much fans should read into what happened against UT Martin last week and let it affect their opinion of Beck that much. He didn't really make that many mistakes in the game aside from that missed throw on third down on Dominic Lovett. That was a that was a bad throw, but you have those sometimes. Um, he overthrew Arian Smith a bunch. It was twice. I think Arian Smith, I believe the whole game, Arian Smith was targeted five times and didn't have a catch, which is concerning just because 
that's not the output you want from someone who's supposed to be a huge weapon out here. So, but in terms of Beck, it might be boring to say this, but all he has to do next week to make Georgia fans feel good about where he's at is just not make many mistakes. He looked comfortable running the offense last week as a drop back pocket passer. He also had a few plays where he looked good out of structure and, you know, making plays with his feet and making plays when it breaks down. So if he can do that, same thing again in week two against Ball State and maybe clean up a couple missed throws here and there, that will be more than enough for him to have people feel pretty good about him. Yeah, and obviously a lot of his production is going to come down to who he's throwing the ball to. In week one, Lad McConkey couldn't go, so the receiving core was a little bit short-handed. You mentioned Arian Smith and Dominic Lovett. Who needs to step up if Lad McConkey cannot play in week two? I would expect them to use Makai Muse in a, a lot, in a pretty similar way to how he was used last week. Like, just thinking about the kind of player that Makai Muse is, he's a twitchy athlete, he's, you know, five foot eight. I think, he's he's hard to tackle, he's really good at making things happen after the catch, so just as an athlete, he's pretty similar to McConkey in that regard of what he does after the catch. Last week, you saw them make an effort to get him the ball in space and let him make some plays, and, you know, he took that screen pass to the house. Like, we saw that. Um, I think if McConkey's out again this week, Muse is probably going to be the guy to come in and step in and be that guy that they, you know, want to get going after the catch. Arian Smith and CJ Smith should also probably get plenty of looks out of the Z spot if Lad's out. And like I said earlier, like it will be interesting to see if Beck and Arian Smith are able to build more of a connection out there after how things went last week. I think Makai Muse and his production this season will be a really interesting one to watch because last year he was the exact kind of player that gave Georgia fits. Yeah. Every time they had a lapse in, lapse in coverage or a big blown assignment, it felt like it was a small guy taking a screen pass to the house. Right. So seeing them implement that in their own offense is, mm-hmm. is going to be really fun this year. It's a it's a fun wrinkle to have, definitely. You you like players like that on your team. They're just they're just fun guys, man. And speaking of fun guys, uh, Ball State is coming into town this week. They're <laughs> they had a mixed bag in week one. Uh, tell me what happened when they played Kentucky. Well, they got blown out. Is what happened. They lost forty four to fourteen. Now they okay. They were up 7-3 after the first quarter, had Kentucky looking pretty rough on offense. They had a pretty impressive scoring drive to start the game. And then Kentucky scored a touchdown to go up 10-7, to and then on the ensuing Ball State possession, Kentucky took a fumble to the house and just kind of blew the game open from there. So the biggest loss I think Ball State took in this game was not just losing the game, but they lost Clayton Cole. Clayton Cole has been with the team since 2019. He's They've been saying pretty much since this injury happened how big of a role he plays as a leader on this team. He's the heart. He's the soul. Um, he had a really bad injury to his leg, and there you could tell after the game the way a lot of Ball State players were talking to the media, they were really shaken up about it. And it's just, you know, it's incredibly tough for them to have something like that happen. Yeah, so... They lost the linebacker on on defense, and on offense, they're kind of going through a little bit of a quarterback controversy, mm-hmm. questionable, who, who's going to go into week two as the starter. Talk me through that situation. Yeah, so they used three different quarterbacks in that game, which is just, you know, in a, in a week one game against Kentucky where you're losing by a lot, you're going to throw a lot of different guys out there, but they don't really have a clear answer right now, so... 
Their starter was Lane Hatcher, who started his career at Alabama a few years ago. He's transferred like three times since then. I think Ball State is school number four for him. So after that first scoring drive, they couldn't get anything on offense at all, so they benched him. They put in a true freshman by the name of Caden Samanza, who led a pretty solid scoring drive on his second possession. Uh, he threw it to Ty Robinson, I think, like three times on the same drive, and they are all big plays. Um, not much else outside of that from him, but he, he was the one who played basically the whole second half. And then they had their third-string quarterback, Kyle Kelly, also played a pretty good amount of snaps. Um he probably provides the biggest spark of with his legs out of any of them. He was pretty good as a scrambler, and then he completed his only pass of the game for 22 yards. So right now, as it stands, like any of those three guys could start against Georgia. We'll just have to wait and see, and it's incredibly likely that we're not just going to see one of them the whole game. They're probably going to keep you know platooning guys until they figure it out. So with so much uncertainty at the quarterback position, it would make sense for Ball State to rely on the running backs a lot. One particular running back I'm looking forward to seeing in this game is Marquez Cooper. Uh, he was on Kent State last year, and against Georgia, when Kent State played Georgia last year, he ran for 90 yards, the most Georgia gave up to a single back all year. What are the chances mm-hmm. he pulls off a repeat performance this year? There's always a chance. Um, Ball State was a really good running team last year with Carson Steele. He ran for like 1,600 yards, and then their offensive line is a veteran group. They're bringing back four out of five starters. So, like you said, I mean, we Georgia has seen what Marquez Cooper can do firsthand, but if we look back to next, look back at next, last week, wow, I can't talk at all. If we look back at what he did against Kentucky last week, he ran for 33 yards on 15 carries, and now Georgia has a whole game of tape of their own defense playing this kid last year, so... I don't know if I would feel all that good about saying he's going to repeat his performance from last year, but what I do expect is that he'll keep Georgia's front seven honest and make them respect the run, which you usually like. sometimes you don't really have to have that mentality in a game against a Power 5 school, but or not a group of five schools, excuse me, but Marquez Cooper is going to make sure Georgia's you know, locked in and stopping the run today or on, on Saturday. So just overall... Talking about the game as a whole, if Georgia isn't locked in, what what do you think the worst case scenario for this game is? Is there an outcome that leaves Georgia fans walking away, shaking their heads a little bit, not quite sure what they just watched from the defending back-to-back national champions? I think the worst case scenario for this game is basically not the same thing, but something really similar to the Kent State game last year that we were just talking about. That's a that was a MAC team that came to Athens. Georgia really struggled. They won by seventeen when they were supposed to win by triple that at least. And you know they've got another early September game against another MAC team here. So the thing is, Ball State's injuries and their I'll say shaky quarterback situation limits them a lot here. But if Georgia comes out out of the gate and isn't all that aggressive on either side of the ball then Ball State could definitely hang around a lot longer than I think most Georgia fans might like or expect. So I would say, like, a worst-case scenario is, like, another, like, sub-20-point win, you know, but more than probably 14. All right, Bo, time to put you on the spot. I want you to pick your offensive MVP for the game, your defensive MVP for the game, 
and I just want a prediction for the game as a whole. Give me a score. Okay, I'll do the score prediction first. Um, I'll say forty-one to thirteen. Um, I don't think Georgia's gonna put up a ton of points. I think Ball State's gonna fare a little bit better than UT Martin did. Um, on offense, offensive MVP for the Georgia for this game for Georgia, I would probably say Kendall Milton, only because I'm assuming that he's gonna get the bulk of the carries this week if he's healthy. And Ball State was pretty bad against the run last year. And they were pretty bad last week against Kentucky. So I expect Georgia to be able to run really well in this game. And then on defense, I'll say Jamon Dumas-Johnson, just because he's going to be counted on to lead the charge against the run game. And the run game is what I think they're going to be really keyed in on stopping because you don't really know what their quarterback room is going to look like. So if Georgia's able to shut the run down early, this game is basically over. And I think it's going to rely on Jamon Dumas-Johnson more than any other player to really do that. All right. I'm with you on the game pick, kind of. It's I think Georgia's a little, a little low scoring in this one. I'm saying 37 to three in favor of the Dogs. Okay. I think Brock Bowers and Carson Beck really get on the same page in this game, and I think the tight end goes for 150 yards. I think this mm. is just a breakout performance for Bowers, like he has had in the early mm-hmm. seasons sometimes. Um, and on defense, I think that Kamari Lassiter is going to come yeah. up big. I think Ty Robinson is clearly their number one receiver, and I think Kamar's going to play a big role in taking him yeah. out of the game. They're going to need him to take out Ty Robinson because he looked good last week against Kentucky. He can do it again. Yeah. Be careful. All right. Thanks for coming on the show, Bo. Thank you for having me, John. Thanks for listening to Between the Headphones. I'm John Chang. You can find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts and at redandblack.com. For even more Georgia sports coverage, visit redandblack.com slash sports. We'll tee it up between the headphones again next week.